0: I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to help women unlock their limitless potential so they can have it all. If your mind is saying you can't have it all, that's fear running the show. I'm here to tell you, the only thing between you and holistic success is you. The doors to Limitless Warrior are officially open. Join Limitless Warrior. It's time to dig deep and shine bright. It's time to permanently break up with fear. If you want all the holistic success you've been dreaming of, join us. It's a 12-week program once a week on a Zoom for 90 minutes. Get off that hamster wheel and be the limitless woman you know you are inside. The link to save your spot is limitless-warrior.com. Join us. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. What does it mean to be an artist? Somehow, in the course of our lives, we were told we were not artists, that artists have to be a certain way or at a certain level. Today, we're going to bring creativity and art back into your life so that you can reclaim your inner artist. Being creative can be a source of healing. Enjoying the process of creating, not being attached to the outcome brings a sense of freedom. Focusing on creating is all about dropping the self judgment around being an artist. This is the beginning of healing ourselves. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, hit that follow button, the three dots on the upper right hand corner of your phone so that you can be the first to know about our latest episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star written review. I love to hear from listeners, so make sure you DM me on Instagram at warriorwomenpod. Okay, on with the show, but first... Ladies, money is not a dirty word. It's a great word. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the Bra Network is launching the Wealthy Women Summit or WEWO. The WEWO Summit is not your typical conference with lanyards and cold coffee. Hosted by the Bra Network on August 25th and 26th, 2022 on the Sir Winston Yacht in Long Beach. The Wealthy Women Summit is for anyone looking to expand their wealth in mind, body, health, leadership, business, and community. Join us for two impactful days where we'll dive into the concept that wealthy living is a mindset and commitment to a value of your own self-worth. You can learn more and get tickets at wewo summit.com. That's w-e-w-o-summit.com. Let's talk about money and let's be wealthy women together. All right, everybody, today on the show, Sheila Darcy, author and founder of Sketch Poetic. Sheila has 20 plus years of experience as a facilitator and a consultant in technology and digital agency space. She earned a bachelor's of fine arts degree from the University of Memphis and a certification in social emotional arts from UCLA. During a difficult time in her life, Sheila found that the act of sketching and freestyle drawing of giving physical form to her thoughts, emotions and ideas was an impactful way to process what she was feeling. One simple sketch became a daily practice and developed into a meditative and therapeutic tool that Sheila has taught and shared with thousands of people. Welcome to the show Sheila.
1: Thank you, Liz. It's so funny listening to that. It never it just still I'm still in awe of the journey when I hear somebody else say it.
0: Isn't it funny? I, I have like the biggest joke I do with people who come on the show is I say I'm just going to follow you around and introduce you because it just feels so good. <laughs> like look
1: at what I've done. It's so true that, I mean, I feel the same way about you. You're a powerhouse. Your energy
0: is so infectious. Well, I, you and I met at a dinner party. Is that the first time we met at that dinner party?
1: At I Amy's? feel like through Amy for sure. And I yeah, do believe yeah. it so, was So yeah. uh,
0: Amy Stanton, who was also came on the podcast, um, we met at this dinner and I loved you to death. And I have been meaning- to have you on this podcast. I already bought all the books. I gave sketch poetic out like to everyone I knew, but I went to a broad network event and you were there. And, and it reminded me again, like, Oh my God, I have to have her on because I just, I was just resonating with what you were talking about in terms of how women, you know, really push down that trauma and really mm-hmm. push down everything that happened to them and just try to resilience their way, which I think is bullshit. I hate resilience. And just push themselves right through, right? When really we need to heal it and feel it and all the things we need to go through it and let ourselves explore certain things that may seem scary. So I am thrilled out of my mind that you are here today and you can tell everybody about the way you work with Sketch Poetic, the book, but also like what goes along, all the things that go along with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yay, okay, so let's start at the beginning because I just want to know you deeply, Sheila. <laughs> tell me about your life growing up. I know you are the proud daughter of immigrants. That you all yeah. you've, you've said many times. So tell me about growing up.
1: Yeah, I think the immigrant part is so critical. And I've listened to a few of your podcasts where you've spoken with other children of immigrants. So oh, yeah, are that my that's favorite that. people. Yeah, it's a theme. <laughs> but the reason it's important is it's so funny. I had two critical immigrant stories. One is I immigrated from the Philippines to Australia at the age of four to five. During the height of anti-Asian sentiments. So Ooh. when I moved there, I was very aware of my Asian-ness and I had an immediate understanding of what it would felt like to not feel included and in belonging. And I was very much aware of my physical self. And then at the age of 15, I immigrated from LA to Memphis. And the culture shock of it being very racially charged, black and white, but I was only one of two Asians in my entire high school. So what was really fascinating is the very thing that made me different in Australia made me stand out in a good way in Memphis. So it was this dichotomy of two very different experiences. Like the guys were like, oh, I love your Aussie accent. You look different. And so the very things that I didn't like about myself ended up becoming a positive in Memphis. So it was really fascinating to have that story. But the only other thing about being an immigrant, which you've heard in the past, is that there's this underlying foundation of responsibility that you feel as a generation that grew up in that environment you feel like you're carrying the weight of your ancestors to find success, to find belonging and to ultimately make them proud. And that's also part of my Asian upbringing is, is that, you know, connection to making your parents proud. I think a lot of us carry that independent of your culture.
0: Oh, absolutely. And now, you know, all the research, which I'm sure you know about where this generational trauma, that there are kids that never met their grandparents that were in the Holocaust, and yet they can tell you exactly the town, the apartment they lived in, take you there because that trauma has imprinted through. And immigrants, you know, have a lot they've had to go through, like being shunned, being treated like you're a doctor in your country. One minute you come to America, you got nothing. Yeah, absolutely. That, That alone, let's not even think of the 100 other things that could be so much worse than that, but just that alone, just taking away your identity and your worth and your and what you think is your worth as a hardworking person, you know, that is just devastating. So to it is. carry all of that with you too, it's not just that you're carrying their their hopes and their dreams, but it's like things that have gone wrong for them that they're trying to write through you, right? So that yeah, is so absolutely. much pressure.
1: The interesting thing about it, and I know this sounds funny when I say it, but I know you'll understand, is sometimes I forget that I'm Asian. And I say that because I never was aware of my Asianness until somebody points it out because I don't identify myself in, in terms of labels in that sense. I was more of performance academic driven. I always found my identity through achievement and work more than I did my identity as a cultural you know, category. So it's interesting because that's a huge part of it. And I share that because I think of America as this amalgamation of cultures. If you look at our heritage, everyone... Mm-hmm is an immigrant, if you think about it. And so, yeah. And I think that's part of the story is that we tend to categorize it in a certain way, but everyone is an, is an immigrant to America.
0: Absolutely. No one was, no one started out here. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, or if they did, we stole it from them. So either way, <laughs> what was life like before Sketch Poetic? Because I remember you talking at this bra event about kind of what your thinking was and what you believed about yourself before mm. you kind of went on this journey. It's
1: such a good connective point to the last question, because when I think about my life pre-sketch poetic, it was very externally driven, externally driven by what society had told me I was, what my parents have taught me, what's, what my work had defined me in terms of my value systems, my peers, very influenced by my peers. And so everything I was, I, I often, you know, I'm a visual person as an artist. I would describe myself as, you know, the disco ball with all the mirrors. And I was the ex, I was the expression of everything around me that I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. So I was a disco ball. And I like to use that analogy because I also hope that I was fun. But, but yeah, the, the reality is I don't think I knew who I was. That's the reality, Liz. I I didn't know who I was. I, I felt like I became, and you know, people say in the business world, the imposter syndrome, this is different. It wasn't an imposter syndrome so much as I became parts of everything that I aspire to be to the point where I wasn't sure who I actually was. And a lot of it had to do with my emotional IQ. I have a really strong ability to communicate my feelings, but I was really poor about feeling them. Mm. I could tell you that I never allowed myself to be angry. I could tell you I felt a lot of shame, but I had a really hard time expressing shame. And so, yeah, that's the thing is I was very much up here in my head and I was not in my heart that often. It's so funny because people would tell you I'm very loving, but that's different loving and, and being in your truth is very different.
0: Yeah. I mean, I resonate so much with what you're saying because I am a recovering neck upper as uh. I call that. I was, I literally didn't know I had a body and I would <laughs> well, get pissed, you know, and use my silver tongue and wit, right. And say something really cutting. Hmm. Uh, but I was a party girl too, just go ball, all the things. And, you know, doing the work of discovering, you know, traumas and things about yourself and going deeper when you realize you do have a body and guess what you probably need to move that body to get some of that trauma out of you and all the things. I really resonate when you say you were kind of taking on parts of everyone else because you know, I think especially if you've been a child where your parents are very strong and they have certain ideas about how you should, what you should express, not express, how you should be, what you should be, you end up being like, okay, well then I'm just going to reflect That's easier. Like if I just reflect back to everybody, oh, you're happy, oh, me too. Oh, you're having a hard time? Oh, okay, I'm here for you. Like, I mean, you just, you know, and I think women really go through this. A lot of women that end up doing my mastermind will come just so depleted because they've Mm -hmm. literally given everything to everyone and they've got nothing left, nothing. They're crawling onto that Zoom like Liz, oh my God, hi. You know, so I think so many people could relate to that. I love that analogy. Yeah. Well, the disco ball analogy,
1: but what's really interesting about the deeper healing that we're talking about. And I love that you're always in your master classes and your, you know, your workshops, you talk a lot about transmuting a lot of your trauma into positives. Right. And so for me, when I went inward to finally really deal with all the stuff I'd pushed down, what I realized is I was seeking safety. I was a perfectionist. I say was a recovering perfectionist, people pleaser, and I always made sure that everyone liked me. That was the goal. If you liked me, you wouldn't hurt me. If I'm perfect, you wouldn't hurt me. If I'm, you know, if everyone around me is happy, nothing bad will happen. And that's bullshit. <laughs> Sorry for the, the, my French, but the reality is that's, I mean, that word comes up for me because it, it's laced with anger too, because you, if you spend your entire life caring more about others than you care about yourself. And then that catches up with you, and it did for me. It caught up with me in my forties. Right, I lived my entire life for other people, never really caring what I cared about. Truly,
0: yeah.
1: so, selflessness is a noble thing, but not to the point of where you have lost yourself along the way.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you know I've come to learn that like perfectionism, like all these safety mechanisms that we put in place, like perfection, people pleasing, all these things. Those are also trauma responses. Yes, so, you know, absolutely. we've learned those not just to keep us safe, but we wouldn't need to keep us safe, ourselves safe like that, if there wasn't a reason but that that yes. is a trauma response. Like yes. I also over explaining <laughs> trauma response, right? it's all <laughs> Absolutely. The, the fawn response. And yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that before, because people mm-hmm. always talk about fight, flight and freeze, but no one talks about Fawn. fawn. Because fawn is very feminine. And so, of course, they've just left that out of the vernacular. But the fawn response, you have your people pleasing, you have a hard time setting boundaries, you over-explain. So there's all these things and... And you can sometimes see yourself doing it in a desperate way. And you start realizing, oh shit, I'm being traumatized. Like I'm literally in a trauma response because I feel like I have to please these people and do everything for these people, or I can't even survive this. Forget yeah. about people liking me. Like I can't survive whatever this family party is yeah, or this social event because I feel so raw and so out, like out of my comfort zone that I'm just going to start like doing yeah. everything for everyone.
1: Yeah. This is an important part of the conversation because I'm going to just skip to the reason sketching was so profound for me, Liz, is when you have had traumatic or, you know, really difficult times, there's a term in psychology they use called hypervigilance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, where you overread in body language and the tone of the voice and the very thing that I used to survive my life. I ended up using in the business world, I could read a room, great facilitator because I could really feel the energy of the space. But what ended up happening is as I sketched, I read into my marks the same way I read into people. And I used it to thrive. That is the power of daily sketching for me. It's not about me just doodling or sketching and expressing. I was like, well, that's interesting, Mark. Why did I do that? And so basically, I used the very thing, like I said, that I used to do to survive.
0: I actually used it to thrive. And it it changed my life. Changed my life. That is inc- that First of all, I love that, that you're able to, edit, to identify that just from every mark. Well, tell me what made you write Sketch Poetic and what was that moment that you knew you had to realize this dream? Because obviously coming from your corporate background, the last thing you were going to do is maybe like be over here out in your art mm-hmm. and doing all the things <laughs> with this book, for God's sakes. Like, yeah. what are you crazy, Sheila? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I think the best First initial response to that is I never had any intention of writing a book, nor did I have an intention of having found my purpose through it. I genuinely came in with such a, I mean, innocence, the word that comes to mind, there was such an innocence in which I went to leap into sketching because I realized that art was always my place of solace, my place of peace as a child. And I never thought of it as a place of healing before. So when I decided this was a very intentional thing to to sketch. Daily to release emotion. So when I did it, and that's what my book Sketch by Sketch is about, is thinking of it as not a sketching an art practice, but thinking of it as an embodied practice. Right? Engaging your breath, engaging your body, engaging your thoughts. Don't push it away. And I was a terrible meditator because I was I thought meditation the only way to get there is to quiet the mind, and that for somebody like me that was too much of an ask. For somebody that has spent my entire life being in a trauma and response state. And my mind is like 10 steps ahead of everyone else. To ask me to just be still was impossible. It was an impossible feat. So when I started sketching and I started feeling my body regulate, when I started to pay attention that I was holding my breath, when I noticed my thoughts passing through and I'm not getting attached to it, you know what I thought, Liz? I'm yeah. like, do people know you can get through this through sketching? I swear to God, I had that moment of recognition. I went, holy moly, like, do people know? And then I started using my workshop techniques and I started hosting them a my house. And then COVID hit, and then I did global Zoom calls, and that's when I got more access to thousands of people. And now I have this wealth of community doing it. And so it was that recognition that do people know that you can do this through sketching? Because I certainly did not, or else I would have done it my entire life.
0: Absolutely, yeah. but it's what was wild that?
1: to me? But you were saying something about an ATM. Oh my god! I'm so. That story still horrifies me, but it was my lowest point and we all have different low points, but this one was a low point because I have, it was, it was triggered so many wounds in my life. I went to the ATM. I was going to see an acupuncturist and I was going to the ATM to get cash. And I went to pay her after my appointment. And I realized I had left the money in the ATM machine. Yeah. And I thought, and I remember her name is Gesh Kwan. She's an incredible acupuncturist here in LA. She's an energy worker as well. And I was so filled with shame, Liz. I thought, how did I get to this point in my life where I wasn't mindful? I wasn't present. And more importantly, I have a lot of wounds around money. And I thought this is, I saw it as a symbol that I would leave. And it was $300, I think. That was a significant amount of money for me in my mind. And I thought, how did that happen? And I was so filled with shame. I didn't see Gorkesh for like a year and a half. I was so embarrassed. But that's also the period of time when I started to actually address my issues, because I knew something deeper was at play. Mm, so that moment was definitely mm. the moment, the domino that fell. I was, it was like my bottom, but not in the bottom that you hear about. It mm. was just a recognition, like, how did you get here? Like this, this is not good. <laughs> you know,
0: That's interesting, right? Like what, what makes that, what's the trigger point or the tipping point which makes me say, oh, I can't, I have to change. Yeah. What, what, What I'm doing now is not working. I went to one of your events, like I said, a bra. And what I loved was you had us up and active and we painted and we did all these different things. And what I loved was before we even got up there, you were like, I've heard many people say, I'm not an artist. And so what do you say? Because some, someone may be listening to this like, oh yeah, Sheila, sounds really good. I mm-hmm. don't like meditating either. I can't be quiet either, but I definitely am not an artist, Sheila. So what are you talking about? What do you say to those people? I
1: immediately go from to a place of curiosity. I, I ask two questions every time I ask them. One, what, do you, what does it mean to you to be an artist? And it, it's, it ranges, but usually at the core of it is reverence. People look at artists in this beautiful you know, reverence way, right? They're talented, they're gifted, they do what I can't do. And there's this, but it's all very outcome focused, right? That's the first thing. So you find that a lot of the answers are very outcome focused. They have to be successful. They have to be really good. People have to love their stuff. It's in galleries. So that's the first thing is find out the reason, the definition of being an artist. My second question is even more telling. I ask, when did you realize you weren't an artist? And I, I 99% of the answer is in childhood.
0: Oh yeah. A teacher right. said like, yeah, a teacher said, it, your parents are like, that's not great.
1: Yeah. You're going to be a starving artist. Society says, you're know, you're in a gallery. You're not an artist. Your peers are the biggest ones. Once, when your peers, when you start to compare yourself is really one of the biggest downfalls because you know, our peers have a much bigger end when we're a child. So yes, yeah, So those are the two. And then the moment I get those answers, I remind them that what I do specifically around sketching is an art. The moment you can remove yourself from the idea that this is art, that it's about the process, it is about the un- unraveling, the unconditioning, the just really the shedding of all of those things you just said, whatever your answers were sketch, sketch poetic and daily sketching for me was unraveling all of that. I had a ton of those conditions in my head of what being an artist was. I, Actually, and I say this in a, a place of pride now, not ego, I was clearly gifted with a talent, but even I didn't see it, right? I, I always loved art, but I couldn't even make the connection that being an artist meant just enjoying the process of creating, not being so attached to what it, the outcome of what it's supposed to be. Oh, and wow. so that's what, my, that's what my practice is about.
0: Well, and we're also so averse to pleasure. This is, you know, we have we have the negativity bias that all human beings have, which is we just love to focus on the negative. That's just what we do. We're like, oh, <laughs> is it been bad, terrible? Let me just really swim around in there and have a good time, right? But the, the answer to that is giving yourself these bursts of pleasure, but also trying to stay there. So, and I even, I just had this moment. So I'm going to tell you so yeah. something stupid like this. So I, my bath mats were kind of like in rough shape. So I got myself all new bath mats. Right. And I got this really special one that is like, feels like it's like, oh God, it's got these like long kind of pieces. Oh, like a shaggy. Yeah. It's shaggy, but it's like bigger pieces of shag. Like, I don't know how to explain what that is, but mm-hmm. anyway, it's so soft and yummy. And so like, I put it in front of the toilet. <laughs> so, <laughs> Every time I pee or whatever, I put my feet in and I close my eyes and I just extend that moment. And because the longer you can extend the pleasure, the, the more you will tend to focus on it and give yourself more. So even people who are saying right now, oh my God, what are you talking about, Liz? Like I can't even take five minutes to stop working. Even if you can give yourself this thing where you give yourself a moment to to just draw, to just sketch mm-hmm. without any who cares let yourself enjoy it, feel it, what it felt like to be free as a child, right? Stay in that moment and keep making it a little longer. That's how we get to that pleasure center. And then we so slowly find that we start feeling better because then we'll start being like, oh, well, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to have lunch outside and yes. I'm going to go call my friend or, you know, we start kind of doing other things for ourselves, just that little like pulling apart, making it a little longer. I love that you
1: bring up pleasure because for me, pleasure and play are kind of you know, two sides of the coin because play to me is the activating agent for sketching. For me, if I can lose myself in the playing of it, I forget that I'm even drawing. And one of the quick things I wanted to mention to people listening is why I call it sketching versus drawing. In the art world, sketching was, if you go to retrospectives of famous artists, sketches are the ones people often want to look at because they're in the, it's the in progress sketching Mm -hmm. that led to the masterpiece and they're not meant to be seen. They were never intended to be seen. They were fast and loose, getting you to the masterpiece. So I love that metaphor of sketches don't have to be seen. They're a pathway to the masterpiece, whatever that might look like for you, and that they're fast and loose. Don't be attached to it. So that's the reason I call it sketching, not drawing. It's about pleasure, though. It is about losing yourself.
0: And freedom. I mean, I felt like when we were doing that workshop with you you know, there was the tendency is to just do it really nice and perfect and do it, you know, make the best thing you can. But then you had us move around the table. So we couldn't finish our, we couldn't get attached. I was like, ah, I was like, (laughs) it's uncomfortable to my drawing. And then you would just add to each person's thing. And I thought it was so brilliant because it it offered you this kind of like, you can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. Perfectioning. Yeah. That's a word. Uh, You can't be perfectioning that because you're moving on. You just like to kind of like go with it and flow with it. And that was really, amazing.
1: It's an, it's a different experience of discomfort. Like my, one of the things I talk about in my book, Liz, is be uncomfortable. That's the point. If you're too comfortable, you know, it doesn't allow for that room for growth, but it's an uncomfortable for it. It's a discomfort in a different way. It's a discomfort to not be attached. So, you know, as you know, you're a powerful communicator, the words we use to describe something matters. So instead of saying, Oh, I want to be perfect. I say, let's be less detached. Let's be less attached less to attached. the outcome. Less attached to the outcome. It's not perfectionism at that point. So that's really what it was. It was just getting you com- uncomfortable with
0: not being able to You detached me. You detached my suction cup that I had on my design. <laughs> exactly. You popped it off. Um, exactly. You say that the bridge builders are really important. I love this. What or who is a bridge builder and how do they help us?
1: Yes. I love talking about this, especially with the audience that you will have, because I know there's so many bridge builders listening. I kept on thinking to myself, Liz, like I spent 20-something years in the corporate corporate space, right? As an executive or as a businesswoman. I'm like, why the hell am I going down the artist path? How the hell am I going to the health and wellness healing practitioners route? Like what does that mean? It seems such like it was a whole nother language. I didn't even understand that language. My lingo was corporate. And then as I'm on the other side of it, I've been doing this for almost, you know, five and a half years now, I realized there's power in understanding two worlds that seemed opposed or certainly juxtaposed, Mm. whether it's, whether it's science and spirituality, right. Art and technology, you know, health and wellness and, you know, the business world, there's a lot of tension between these groups because we speak a different lingo and what ended up happening is as i was sketching i got really curious about what was happening to my body so i got into neuroscience and like i said mental health things that i weren't wa- i wasn't particularly interested in the past and as i got more versed in being an artist and as a healing practitioner i found my ability to communicate to this group of business people you know people that are all about like very what that's what left left side of the brain very you know a what's a, a type a personality yeah. i was able to Build bridges because I could understand their world. So I find that my ability, and this is also starting even from my childhood. I told you I didn't often remember that I was Asian because I was so Western in my beliefs, right? I I didn't prescribe to the Asian woman stereotype of, you know, and so I fought against that, if anything. But now I can look at the values of East and West. So it's the same idea. So to me, bridge building is a keystone to society because it's our ability to connect two people two groups, two cultural tenants in a way that is accessible to the masses and allows you to break it down in a way that is digestible. And that's what we're missing in society today is we are so polarized. We're so willing to be in our bubbles and and certainly dig our heels into things without really understanding what the other side is saying. But you also need people that can mediate and build that bridge. So that's what I mean by that term. There's a reason I went to this world in my 40s. So I can bridge the art world with the business world, the technology with the, fun, you know, and I'm able to do that. But I wouldn't have been able to had I not sat in this world.
0: If you had to name, because I feel when you're saying this, well, first of all, I feel like I do this sometimes. But when you're saying this, it's making me think of like people that like are famous that we know are kind of bridge builders. So who, would, if you had to point to some bridge builders that we would know just so we could even further understand your, your yeah. definition, who would you say I'm going to
1: use a couple of uh, authors because uh, Glennon Doyle is a huge one. Yes, you know when she came in, she was a proud mother and Christian, right? She she had the Christian world and the mother world. She identified herself in those, and then she found herself and wrote a book, and now is a public speaker and doing good in the world. But all of her stories are very much about bridging two very opposing worlds. And she's also gay, right? She's come out as gay, and so. She's a great example of one. Brené Brown is another author. Again, I'm choosing women for a reason. I do think women are very much wired to be bridge builders. Brené came from the social work. You know, she was working with the traumatized population, and she was interested in research. And so, when she started doing that, then she became again in in the. She became the face to a lot of things and her book, Atlas of the Heart. is so amazing. And the show
0: is so good. I've been watching the show. So
1: good. But she's a teacher, both of them, by the way, I realized they're both teachers in the way that they communicate.
0: Yeah. No, those are great examples. So tell me what has been your experience doing these workshops and working with people, uh, with just so we know sketch poetic, and we're going to talk about how people can uh, begin to heal themselves. Like what are the first steps, but what has been your experience doing this? I'm sure it's like been amazing and cathartic just seeing people kind of go through some of the experiences, maybe even that you had.
1: No, I think that's been probably the biggest gift, Liz, is to watch the transformation of some people. And I've been very open about this, that when my book was published, I said, even if one person is changed by it. So this book isn't for everyone. It's, it, it requires work. So You have to be ready Also, this might not be the right tool for you either. might be dancing, sketching may not be your thing, but it's the idea of introducing it. But the biggest things that I've found and my hope for the world is as you start to do this for yourself, because to me, it's a metaphor. So when you start to look at a blank page, there's nothing happening on paper that isn't happening in your life. Whether you're judging it, criticizing it, wanting to tear it out, wanting to throw it away, put it away, all of those things that's showing up in your life. But what ends up happening is the more you look at the paper and you look up and you start to see the world the same way you look at your art, you realize that we're underneath it all. We're all struggling with similar universal themes and truths and challenges. And it is all about love and fear and hope and faith and all the you know, it is, but it's just, it just comes out sideways for so many people. It just comes out sideways. And and that's what I have found in the workshops is that realization that we're not that much different.
0: Yeah, well, I don't care what connect, right? You get to connect. I mean, feeling that isolation that you're the only person feeling this way is the worst feeling in the world. You know that group dynamic is so powerful because you you know someone says something and you're like, me too. You know, (laughs) you're so you're so thrilled out of your mind. You know that somebody else has the same thing. You know, so it is really incredibly powerful.
1: The one example that really sticks out to me is I did this at Kern Valley Prison with incarcerated men and you would think, what do I have in common with these men? And I had a lot in common with these men. They wanted to be loved. They didn't, they had traumatic experiences that led them down that path, but this is where their life led, you know? And so whenever art was introduced, just to see see their recognition that they could express how they felt without words, that's the power of, of sketching and drawing, is there's no words. In the prison system, if you are vulnerable, it could cost you your life. Well, yes. imagine that same translation in society. People truly believe that if you see me, Liz, fully for who I am, you're not going to like me or certainly I'm not going to belong. It's a tribal feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's, again, I cannot emphasize that enough. We're all very similar in our challenges and struggles. It's just that we, we want to, again, we look externally for affirmation of why we don't belong when really it's all inside. I wish I had known this sooner, but I didn't
0: <laughs> I know. Right. I would, me too. You know, it's funny. It's it, you know, you can easily attach your worth to external things, right? Like, cause that's just how society is like built on, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the money or what job you have or your husband or your kids. And then where do they go to college? And you feel like it's all based on you. But once that stuff falls down, once you lose a job, lose your money, your kid doesn't do exactly what you said he yeah. should do. Suddenly you realize like oh my god, I will go down the tubes if I keep putting my worth on all these externals. These things are shaky and they're they move mm-hmm. all around. Like these things are not solid. The only thing that's solid is my internal stuff. So once you realize that that is a shaky place to to put your investment, right? That's 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 that investment may but most likely will not pay off like all those things. So yeah. having it on something more solid and internal, although it feels scary, like a scary leap is, I mean, it's the path to glory and happiness. Yeah. I love the use of your words. Like shaky is absolutely how I felt in my life.
1: I never thought I could feel peace in my life, Liz. I swear. I thought there's ne- I'm never going to feel peace. And yeah. then I got a taste of it and I'm like, oh my God. And it was all inward. It was all in- internal stuff. Yeah, I, That's the only time I feel at peace is when I'm, I feel solid within my core, my center.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me how can people begin to heal themselves through art?
1: You know, I've touched on a lot of the tenants already, but I would say again, being intentional with the understanding if people could forget that it's art and think of it as creating. You know, one of my favorite lines in my book is we're creating the margins of our lives every day. We're creating every time we cook a meal for our family. We're creating when we think about planning a vacation. We're creating in the most mundane things we're creating, but because again, the reverence we have for art is so big. And that's what I'm realizing is just to really remind people the reverence we hold is also equal to the, the reasons why we don't do it, right? So take it off the pedestal. Take it off the pedestal. Too much pressure, Yeah, too much pressure. So my best guidance for people as you leap into it is to realize that you have to, sur- that you not have to, but it is an invitation to surrender to the process in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. That is the discomfort. And part of the reason I love doing workshops is I take that leap with you, right? So the reason that exercise was so powerful is now you've done it. Now you can do it on your own, but sometimes people are having to do it on their own. So the first time it actually is that first sketch that is the most terrifying. It is that first sketch that brings up all that stuff and then they stop, right? And so I, I think it starts with the basic of, think about everything you hold under the word art. And being an artist, if you can let that go and really realize, there's a lot you've put on it that oh, you put yeah, on it yourself. It seems like
0: there's judgment in that reverence. I mean, expectations, like pressure, and clear reverence. It. It's like no, but it has conditions and judgments yeah. on it, so that it's too, yeah. it's too much for us to like let us in on. But I want to know how do people work with you, so we can go to your website. I'm going to put this all in the show notes. Yeah. they can do. They can get the book, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they can do maybe a workshop too if they want to, kind of with you. Yeah.
1: So you can reach out to me. I I host individual and group workshops, but the book is probably the best way to leap into it because it's self-paced. You know, I listen, I know not just your audience, but a lot of people that are out there in the world, finding the time, you know, people think that's an excuse. It's not, I do know finding the time is difficult, let alone being ready for it. So I'd say the book for sure. And then just in general, I would say I'd like to do it with somebody else. So maybe start a sketch circle with someone, maybe a buddy or, and then do it together. Because to me, the healing part of it wasn't just my own inner work. But when I started to do it with the community and started to talk about my sketches with other people, it really helped me to uh, connect with others in a different way. So I would say, start it with someone.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. you need a group. I, 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 I believe in the group. You know what, We've it's rare that you've experienced trauma by yourself. It's usually because of another person. So I feel like that's how you have to heal it too. Yeah. Right? I love You're that. Healing. There's things that have come from these relationships or from these people that we've been in contact with, but you heal it. If you cannot isolate, you can heal it with other people and having something like this, doing a sketch circle. That's such a brilliant idea. I love, love it. That. Yeah. I love doing it with people. I love it. Okay. Well, we were on to the speed round. It's time for the speed round. <laughs> okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman?
1: Oh, it's so funny. Today, what it means to for me is I am a warrior woman when I am standing in the power of my truth, and I'm fearless in my expression of it, because I used to edit. I was an editor. I edited the way I expressed. So now I feel like a warrior woman when I'm not editing. I'm just being fully in my own power.
0: I love that. No editing people. No, no editing. editing. Uh, what's a mantra or quote you live by? This one, I, this
1: one, this uh, one, actually, 40, you probably
0: have forty million. No,
1: I do, but this one, no, this one is, has been since my childhood. I remember speaking of toilets. <laughs> my grandmother's house, she had in her bathroom the Serenity Prayer. Oh yes, right. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That has been my mantra my entire life because I didn't have the last two. <laughs> <laughs> the courage to change. I was trying to change everything. I certainly didn't have the wisdom to listen to it. So it, I, I feel like I'm embodying that, that mantra now.
0: Well, now you're teaching other people. What makes you feel unstoppable?
1: The, the time I feel unstoppable is when I feel like I'm being in service to something greater than myself. It really does make me feel fearless when you know you're doing something that's bigger than you. Whether, yeah, that, that is my answer.
0: It's so powerful
1: right? Because it's like all the, any fear and doubt you have, it kind of falls on the wayside because you know, you're doing it for a much larger purpose.
0: Yeah. When you realize you're the vessel, right? Yes. You're, not the, yes. you're not the person, you're the vessel. It's all coming through. My yes. favorite word. Yeah. I'm a vessel. Oh, cool. Well, there's your next book. Be the. Best.
1: <laughs> you're welcome. What are you most proud? We touched on this earlier, but where I am in my healing journey, Liz, is I'm proud of the fact that I'm going to stop the narrative that my ancestors have passed on to me. And in my lifetime, like I know for sure, what, whatever my, whenever my life ends, that I know I'm addressing it, and that I'm teaching my daughter, to do the same. That yeah. you don't need to pass down the stories and narratives that just aren't serving us anymore.
0: No, isn't it that's what so I'm most proud amazing of? Amazing to know that you're doing that, and that she will not. That that it stops with you.
1: Yes, certainly the dot 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 because.
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she already had 10 years with me where I didn't quite figure all this stuff out. So. Oh no, but you know what? She, they pay more attention to us now at this age than they ever let up. <laughs> That's so they, comforting before, to hear. They were kind of like, you know, they had they had so many things, but now it's like, now they're really watching. Now they're watching what we're doing. Yeah, I love that. How old is your daughter? 14. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's stopping. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> God, no doubt whatsoever. I'm not even worried about it. Um, what's exciting you the most right now? You touched on it earlier, and
1: I feel like we could talk about it for hours. I loved what you, what did you describe the neck? Oh, a neck upper. I've been a neck upper, so I'm doing somatic body work, and I've never been this excited about it. I'm real, but I don't think I could have been ready, Liz, until now. I'm finally starting to realize this is the most profound part of what I've recently learned. I always thought it was my intuition and my mind that would guide me. Mm -hmm. My body's been trying to guide me for my entire life, but I don't listen to it. Like it's telling me stuff all the time, and now that I'm more cued into it, I find it it's ahead of my mind and ahead of. So right now I'm trying to focus on a complete alignment where my body is caught up to my head and to my spirit and my heart, because it's not. It's it is in fight, flight, fawn uh, mode all the time.
0: Yeah, but that is fascinating. So what exactly? What are you doing for somatic work? I just started. <laughs> But in the past,
1: I did dance classes. But the somatic work that I'm doing is really getting me grounded and centered. Is a better word because I feel pretty grounded as a person. Yeah. But centered is different. It's because, like, I'll give you a simple example. If I close my eyes too long, I would get vertigo mm. because I'm truly not planted in my body. I, I disconnect and disassociate more often than I realize, and so I'm becoming more and more aware how often I was doing that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just being more present in my body and 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 just really, honestly, it's just taking the time to feel into it because I used to feel my body, but being in your body, I'm very heavy. I have a heavy body, you know? And I I think there was a lot of resistance towards being in it because it felt bad. It didn't feel good to be in my body.
0: Well, also it was a great escape, right? Like you don't get into your head without being like, oh, this doesn't work. So I'm just going (laughs) to shoot it right up to the top because my brain will just get me out of this jam, you know? So it makes sense. Cause I was thinking when you said that, like about EMDR, I've heard yes. from many people that that is a really amazing thing. Have you yeah. ever done that before?
1: I haven't, but I've heard great things about it. I've done yeah. lots of different things. about healing. that because I've yeah. heard
0: some things, but I didn't know if that's what you meant when you were saying that.
1: No, it's more just, I just started. So there's yeah. many different somatic therapies. I love that it's becoming all of this stuff. All of this healing modalities are starting to become more and more yeah. mainstream.
0: And I love what you said because, you know, really it is about alignment. Like people you know, they're, they my, you know, when you talk about your mind racing, well, that's your mind going ahead, or, you know, you don't feel like you feel like your body and you feel like you're dragging yourself. Well, that's your body going behind, or yeah. like you want to like work out all the time. Well, that's your body wanting to go ahead. Like, you know, it's all about pulling it all to the center yes. and, and, and having that awareness. And so you're, I love that you're on that journey. Cause that's- I am
1: on, I'm just starting. I do think it's going to unlock. That's why I'm excited. I mean, i I'm, I'm been giddy since I
0: started like giddiness. I love it. I love that. Well, you'll have to come back and tell more. about that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on today. I love, I love your book. I already told you I bought like 10. I gave him out as gifts. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I really love what you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for this work. This is amazing. Another way for people to kind of do some exploring in a safe way and feel like they can give themselves something you know maybe if they're just running like a top you can give yourself something like this and kind yeah. of explore what's going on so thank you so much for this
1: thanks for having me as a guest sure I, I mean you're kicking ass I love I mean you're your're yeah your podcast is so informative I mean I'm telling everyone that's listening you got to drop in because the, the wisdom that you're always dropping is I mean, swear it just, it's so nourishing. (laughs) So thank you. I really appreciate it. And plus I, I love that you use your wit and humor. I think we just need to laugh more too. I think we take, that's probably the biggest misnomer about this work is that we're, you know, like we're always down. I'm not, I actually enjoy my life and I'm, I am happy, but you can do the work still.
0: Absolutely. I always say levity for the win. I mean, you just, you, you have to, you, I think levity is a healer. It is. So, you know, you there there is levity bypassing, right? You can just be like, ha 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 and just blow off all your feelings. But I feel like the way I use it is like you were saying before, like a bridge. You know, like I yeah. want to bridge things together. And and you know, when when you talk about your pain and if I make a joke, it's not to minimize it. It's to say, my God, me too. You know, yeah. I was a neck upper, me too. You know, like <laughs> And so that we can laugh about it and say, you know, we're figuring it out. We're, we're yeah. still trying to figure out like, well, if I'm not going to live as a neck upper, what am I going to live as? Right. Yeah, like, I mean, what is that? What is it, What could that look like if I, if like you said before, if I let my body take over rather than my intuition, if I let my body like tell me the things, what what would that look like? Well, I mean, the term neck upper you created, right?
1: You yeah. created that term. Somebody that doesn't understand the world that we just talked about we'll get the neck upper. That's my point is you've created a bridge just by changing the lingo. Yeah.
0: It's really that powerful. Yeah. Well, you're amazing. Thank you so oh, much. All right. Thank you everyone for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google play or Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the conversations with warrior women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye everybody.